There's an app for that. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Friends, that is a transforming truth. And that's a game changer. And I believe it can change your life. Let's bow in word of prayer together. Our holy God. You know where our hearts are. God, you created us with desire. Sometimes it just gets out of hand. God, I would pray that uh, you'd open our hearts, our minds today, that we would hear whatever it is you'd have us hear. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. read a book uh, several years ago. It's entitled The New New Thing. And uh, it's a story of Jim Clark, who is a guy that started a bunch of uh, tech companies, uh, Silicon Valley. And he sold those companies years later, $3 billion, which left him incredibly wealthy. And uh, the author of the book, uh, Michael Lewis, they were friends. He kind of taunts uh, Jim Clark, and he says, you know, I remember the day that you said if you ever got $10 million, that you would be happy. He said, and then you got $10 million. And I remember the day that you said if you got $100 million, you'd be happy. And you got $100 million. He said, I remember the day you said if you got a billion dollars after taxes, that it would be enough, that you would be happy then. And it's interesting because Lewis writes later, he says, he got it. Jim Clark got a billion dollars after taxes. And he still isn't happy. And at the end of the book, he says, no matter how well Jim Clark does for himself, it will always be two in the morning in his heart. And he's lying awake. And when you read that, friends, that is a description of content, discontentment in life. A billion dollars was not enough. And I believe that's what discontentment can do in our lives. And don't deceive yourself. Think, oh, well, this is just for those that are extremely wealthy. It affects every single one of us. That's why people buy piles of lottery tickets. That's why they, they gamble away their, their paychecks at the casino. That's why people max out a, a handful of credit cards in their lives. Someone said one time that it's difficult to save money when my neighbors are buying things I can't afford. <laughs> you know, and there's some truth to that in there. I mean, it's a disease, discontentment. It affects people that have low incomes, that have middle incomes, or have high incomes. It is a deadly disease. And when the disease strikes, oh, it takes all kinds of forms. I mean, all of a sudden, that three-year-old car, it's kind of an embarrassment. You know, you want to replace it with a newer model. All of a sudden, that home in the subdivision, that at one time you were so excited about, it really becomes substandard. 
You know, it's time to call in the contractors and do a total makeover. You know, the fact is, those situations you go, I just don't have anything to wear. Anybody ever say that? And yet you got a closet full of clothes. And, and the fact is, we all were laughing through the, the drama, but we can relate to that, can't you? To some degree, at some level. Now I know there's some guy out there going, not me, man. Stay, me, stay away from the mall. Stay away from sales. You know, but the fact is we struggle. And I believe we all, at some level, we, we wrestle with the monster of more. You know, that insatiable appetite to have just one more acquisition, one more purchase, one more upgrade, one more decimal point in our salary. You know, Paul kind of takes on that monster of more. You know, Paul says, I'm going to take on that never enough mentality. And he writes, he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, I learned it. I, I learned how to cure this disease of discontentment. I learned how to slay that, that monster of more. He says, I figured it out. But I had to learn it. I, I had to apply contentment to my life. You know, contentment is kind of a mindset, Paul says. It, and he lets us know that it's possible. You know, whether you're living with a lot today or a little Contentment has very little to do with finances. It's about where you focus. It's where you focus. In other words, it's possible. It's possible that you could leave here today. And understanding that with God's help, you could slay that monster of more. You could cure that disease of discontentment that's in your life. It does not have to be Two in the morning with you lying awake trying to figure out what it is that will make you happy. You don't have to live that way. And real quick, I want to share three stories to kind of get us thinking because it is about focus. You know, several years ago I was on a ski trip and I took a group of guys. And some of the guys were married, some were single. Some of them had been Christians for a long time. Some of them knew in the faith and some of them were trying to check out the faith. They weren't Christians, but they were inquisitive. And uh, all the guys that were on that trip were what I would call kind of high-octane guys. These were guys that were climbing the ladder, and I mean rapidly. And so after a day of skiing, we all gathered for dinner. And uh, before we had dinner, I had prayer. And then I said, guys, I want you to think about the most memorable experience you've had this past year, and I want you to share it. And we'll do it after dinner. So we finished up dinner, got done. We were gathered around in the the living area of the cabin, and uh, I said, okay, first one up. So one of the guys, finally he spoke up, and he started sharing about he had had a new baby, a little son. And um, 
he just went on and on about how much that that little boy had changed his life. And uh, so the next guy spoke up, and there were all kinds of different stories, but I, the ones that really stuck out to me was one of the guys talked about getting back together with his ex-wife, and he went into a lot of detail about how God had worked in that situation. Another guy talked about being with his mom when she was dying and that it was the most treasured time and he had never felt so close to her in his life. Uh, one of the guys, he had been going through cancer treatments for a second time and uh, he just shared how God had brought him and his kids and his wife just had brought them so close together. And one after another, these guys shared. And there were about 20 guys on, on this trip and Every single guy had something to say. And after everyone had finished, it got really quiet. It was really still. And I just kind of, we rested in the moment. And then I said, did you guys notice something? Did you notice that the richest memories that we shared were all about relationships? The guy sitting next to me, he's like, yeah, you're right. That's kind of weird, you know. Nobody mentioned anything about getting a promotion, getting a raise at work. Nobody talked about a new car or building a home or none of that stuff. And friends, the guys were genuinely uh, surprised. I wasn't because I've been with groups of guys and put that question out and kind of done that thing before and every time it's about relationships in fact if I stopped right now in this service and we just went around and said tell us the richest memory from this past year I believe most of us would describe a relational memory now here's the point Your current net worth or lack of net worth, the square footage of your home or how tiny your apartment is, whether your car just rolled off the assembly line or you barely got here this morning, that stuff has little to do with your capacity to experience what I'll say are deeply satisfying relationships. True? This is something you've got to grasp. I mean, you've got to get a handle on this because you can have that kind of moment. You can have that kind of moment if you're in a little cramped one-bedroom apartment. Whether you've got a starter home and you've got a back porch, you can have that kind of moment. If you've got a custom-made home that's the dream of all times, you can have that kind of moment. If you owned a yacht and you were on the Bahamas, you could have that kind of moment in your life. You can touch someone's heart. Today after service, you could go have a $5 value meal and you could be touched or touch someone's life. Or you could go have a five-course meal at a five-star restaurant. Same thing. Key concept. There's nothing to keep you from having that in your life. Learning to be content 
involves coming to terms with that. Coming to terms with, with that fact that it doesn't matter how much money you got. I do not need more money. I do not need more achievements. I do not need more possessions. I do not need more toys to engage in one of the most significant things that life has to offer, and that is fulfilling, satisfying relationships where you love the people around you. The question is, where is your focus? I have that in my life. I can touch the hearts of the people around me, and I can allow them to touch me. And it doesn't matter what my bank account's got. Don't need another penny. Not one penny. And if you keep that focus on that basic truth, I believe you can begin to move toward a deeply con- content life. If we don't need all the stuff that the advertisers say. And so my question is, how's your focus on this one? Because you have enough to fully engage in this. You really do. Second story. A few years ago, I was with a group of leaders. Most of the leaders were, were pastors, uh, good friends of mine. And uh, we, we were talking, and it was kind of a, a goof-off, uh, spend some time together, but also sharpen our leadership skills. And so we always come kind of loaded with, with questions and stuff. And so... We were kind of, uh, we'd been together for a couple days, and uh, I remember asking them, I said, what is it going to take to keep you motivated? You know, what is it going to take to keep you leading with the best possible skill set that you can bring, you know, just that cutting edge, pushing it to to the limits? What's it going to take in your life for that to happen? And it was interesting because the guys began to rattle off things. You know, they said, you know, a sense of purpose would keep them in the game. You know, uh, knowing that their labor was making a difference in the world and with the people that they were uh, leading. And what hit me was I knew these guys well. And we had talked about salaries and stuff like that in, in the past. And we were all over the map. I mean, guys that were making serious dollars to guys that were just getting by. And what hit me in that was, again, what was deeply satisfying had nothing to do with money. It had to do with meaning in life. I mean, we all know people that they work because of meaning. They, they, they do what they do because they love it. You know, they, they, they find themselves very content uh, and satisfied, and, and they just seem to excel. It has nothing to do with the dollars. Meaning over money. You all know someone like that? You go, man, they just love what they do. They, they do it because it has a purpose. And my point here is you don't need much stuff, do you? You don't need much stuff if you're doing something that has meaning, that has purpose. You can get jazzed about it, you know, because it's fulfilling. It's God honoring. uh, God's working through you and in you. You know, if every day you, you go to work and you love it, 
and you're doing whatever it is that God's called you to. It may be something in the marketplace or business, government. You, you may be in education or, or in the church, whatever. question is, do you have purpose in your life? Do you get up every day with a sense of why God put you here? Do you know who you're living for? Do you know what you're trying to do? Because, again, if you do, when, when you center yourself in that, on what really matters, what God's called you to, I believe contentment becomes the rule of the day. You know, Philippians, Paul writes, he says, for, for it is I, God, who... It is God. That is not right, is it? For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God who works in you. God works in you. God gives you a purpose. God has a plan for your life. We talk about that all the time around here. And friends, when you get involved in whatever God's plan is for you, and his plan for you is different than his plan for me, but when you get involved in that, what you'll find is that your soul finds a level of satisfaction on just an ongoing basis. And it does not hinge, see that satisfaction does not hinge on how much money you have. Again, loving relationships, purpose in life, they're available to you if you're rich or poor. If you're educated, uneducated, those that have a lot of stuff or those that just have a little bit of stuff, again, what's your sense of purpose these days? Do you have one? Because God can give you more and it has nothing to do with the bank account. One more story. While back, I was having prayer with a guy, getting ready to go through pretty serious surgery. And um, after I had prayer with him, we just kind of sat there quiet. And uh, I could tell he was trying to get his thoughts together. And and finally, he, he spoke up and he said, you know, Damon, when you go through something like what I'm getting ready to go through, he says, you really start thinking about what life's about. You know, about where you're going to go and spend eternity. And he didn't have to say anything else because I understood. And he knew I understood. See, this guy understood that it didn't matter how much money he had. It didn't matter what he had in his bank account, it was not going to help him. It was not going to make him any more secure. And in a moment like that, and I've been with numerous people through these kind of moments, the eternal realities of heaven just are in your face. And you realize the size of the portfolio doesn't matter? Pulper, prince, same position. You know, you're going to face the same issues regarding eternity. You know, have you repented of your sins? Have you fully trusted Jesus Christ? Accepted Him as your Savior? 
You know, have you accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died for your sins? You know, have you applied that stuff to your life? You realize that in that moment. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. I realize that every time I'm with someone that's in those tedious situations. Those are always um, the harsh reminders to me that I think keep my head pretty clear because I experience those. I believe God's designed life that way so that we would understand we all have equal access to this stuff. You know, what really matters in life. In other words, prince or pulper, rich or poor, you can engage in loving relationships. Rich or poor, you can have a purpose in life. And rich or poor, you have full access to the work of Jesus Christ and what what God has done to secure our eternity. The question is, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Are are you focusing on God in your life? Are you giving your relationship with God the highest priority? Say, I believe we serve an awesome God. And I'm going to say it one more time. You can, you can gain contentment regardless of your net worth, regardless of the size of your home, regardless of whatever position you hold in life. Contentment is possible when you focus on what really matters. What causes satisfaction? If you focus on that stuff, I believe you can live with a satisfied heart. Contentment is not, and this is what some people think contentment is. I'm just content. This is life. This is the way it is. I'm really content. That's not contentment, friends. Contentment is, yes, I am content. Yes, God, I'm content with my life. It is not passive. It is a very active thing in life. You know, contentment is not jumping in the lazy river of life and kind of drifting through and going, oh, well, who cares? No. Scripture has said over and over and over and over again, that we are to make the most use of every opportunity that God gives us, that we are to reach, we are to be diligent, we are to develop our God-given skills to the best of our abilities. And there is a sense in which we should never be satisfied with who we are. In other words, we should always be trying to progress in our lives, to grow in our lives. But in essence, we should also... Be very content with our contents. When when it comes to contentment, you have to understand that there is a learning curve. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, I have learned to be what? Content. I've learned it. I mean, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying... There, this is not instantaneous process that, that happens. Paul's also saying in that, I think that he was not always a content person. I think Paul would tell you he struggled with that whole discontentment stuff. 
But he says, you know what? I finally cracked the code. I have learned to be content, whether I had a lot or a little. I've learned to be content if I'm free or I'm spending years in prison. I have learned to be content with my content. You want to be content, you got to start today. You got to start today. I don't care what situation you're in. I don't care what you have, what you don't have. The fact is, you start today. You know, we, I hear it all the time. People go, "Well, you know, Pastor, when when I get that raise, then then I'll be content." You know, when I get that job promotion, then man, I'm going to be so content. When I get that house, you know, that'll be it. When I get that car, when I get that, and you just fill in the blank, okay? You can wish your life away. The Israelites kind of had the Hebrew hurdle that they had to get over. The children of Israel, we spent a lot of time talking about them in one of our series, but um, they'd been freed from slavery. Entire nation. They're wandering around in the wilderness and, and they do it for 40 years. And it's interesting because they were so in to discontentment and resentment, and that's where it'll lead you, that they kind of enter the, what I'll call the moan zone in their life. They're like, oh God, we are stuck out in this wilderness and oh, we wish we could go back to Egypt. The land of leek and garlic. Mm. Sounds good, doesn't it? It was so much better to be slaves than to be here in this wilderness. And I mean, they just complained all the time. And God just would let them take another curve and another curve. And they basically just went in circles in the wilderness. And I wonder any of you living in the moan zone? You know, it, it might be a test. might be a test to see if you will learn to be content. Because I can tell you if you don't learn, you just get to take another curve in your life. And you can go round and round and round, and some of you have been doing it for years, maybe decades in your life, and what happens as you go around and around, you begin to resent, and you guess what? You get to live in the wilderness of discontentment. Start today. Start where you are today. You know, contentment is part of what happens when you grow in your faith, when you grow in your relationship with God. And Paul sees the connection. He sees the connection between his relationship with God, him living the Christian life, and contentment. He says they're all going hand in hand. In fact, he's going to raise the issue of contentment over and over and over again. He is going to point to the importance of contentment in our life. He writes Timothy... And he says, of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. You know, Paul's saying, as we grow with God, as we grow in our relationship with God, 
when we live in a God-honoring way, as you grow in that relationship, guess what? You grow more content. He says there is a gigantic gain. It's huge. And then he kind of gives us a clue into how to tap into that. He says, for we brought nothing into the world so that we take what? Nothing out. See, Paul's reminding us. He says, things, the things you're chasing that I'm chasing, the things that we think we have to have in order to be content, Paul says they're temporal. They're not lasting. Whatever it is that you think you have to have, it's going to rot. It's going to rust. It's going to devalue. It's going to depreciate. It's all going to be dust someday. And because God understands that, because God understands that stuff, our stuff, is temporal, because God has our best interest at heart, God put it in print. And God says, you know what, I want to save you from wasting your time, from wasting your life. I want to save you from all the letdowns and the pain and the suffering that you will experience if you buy into the idea that stuff will satisfy you. Paul says, you've got to understand this. It's okay to have stuff. It's okay to enjoy stuff. But God says, hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. You can't take it with you. Then he goes on and says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. And I think what Paul was saying is, you know what? Focus on what you do have. In fact, I believe one of the reasons that we get terribly discontent in our lives is that we are always looking around us. We are always comparing in our lives. And I've said before, comparing, I don't care what it is, you start comparing, you lose. It will trip you up. You know, you keep comparing, and what you'll find is it will keep you. It will keep you in the wilderness of discontentment. I mean, it starts when you're really young. I think I've shared this before. When when I was in fourth grade, I was living in Kern, Illinois at the time. And uh, I got a green Stingray bicycle. You know, banana seat, chrome, cool bike. How many of you remember those? Okay, how many of you are going, what? Yeah. I'm telling you, I was so jazzed. I was so excited. I couldn't wait. I mean, I wanted to take the bike out at midnight as soon as I got the thing, you know, and we would got it put together. It was like, I want to ride this and wake up the neighbors. I want everybody to know I've got this bike. And it was cool. And the next day, I got up. I couldn't stand it. I wanted people to see it. And I remember pulling out my drive, And my buddy, David Rush, lived right across the street from us. David, guess what he got? He got the newer style of that same bike with the metallic paint. And no no joke, it was just like satisfaction went. Fourth grade. 
just about the time you get the keys to the house, just about the time you get everything redecorated in your home, you get invited to someone else's home that has 500 extra square feet, has nicer furnishings or appointments, get the new car, the new computer. It's amazing. Who could ever want anything more? And then the new model comes out, and you find out, don't you? You know, who's happier? A guy that has six kids or a guy that has six million dollars? It's a guy with six kids. He doesn't want any more, you know? (laughs) He doesn't. You know, the, the Bible says over and over and over again that if you begin comparing, looking around you at what other people have, it will rob you of satisfaction. Or, in some cases, it will lead to pride. That's a whole other message. But Ecclesiastes says... It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. Satisfaction is a choice you make. Some of you are so busy worrying about what you don't have, you don't enjoy what you do have. And Paul says... It is a choice in life. You get to decide. Paul says, I have learned to be content. In other words, it is not a natural thing. Contentment is something that you learn through life. You know, it's learning what's really important in life. You know, it's learning that the things of this world, stuff, temporal It's learning that my contentment has nothing whatsoever to do with what I have or don't have. You know, Paul says, you've got to figure this one out. It's learning not to compare what I have with what other people have. It's learning to be grateful for what I have. Do you notice this is all about shift of focus? Where are you focusing? Contentment is about your focus. Where are you looking for satisfaction? Where are you looking for contentment? Because Paul says, you know, a lot of people look in the wrong places. He writes, Timothy says, command those who are rich in the present world. And by the way, we're all rich. Compared to the rest of the world, we are extremely rich. I don't care how little you have, you are rich when it comes to the rest of the world who are rich in the present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in what? Wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Where are you looking for contentment? You see, no matter how much stuff you've got, hear this, 
I don't care. Whatever you've got, picture it. Get it in your mind. Because you could lose it all like that. Lawsuit, illness, disaster. You could lose everything that you have. Your bank account is not your security. All your stuff is not your security. It is not the key to contentment in life. You find security, you find satisfaction, you find contentment when you put your hope in God, Scripture says. That's when, when when you finally figure that out, when you finally figure out that nothing else will give you that kind of security, that's when everything begins to fall in place. That's why Paul, he would write much later in the book, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When you start to realize that, when you can trust God with everything in your life, when you can trust God that God will give you what you need in life, when you realize that God holds the future and wants the very best for you, when, when you come to terms with that reality, and you really trust God, your contentment will rise. It is baffling to me. I'm talking to Christians right now. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, I find it baffling that we believe that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, And that we believe and trust God with our eternity. But we don't think that God loves us enough to take care of us. To provide us what we need in life. And I'll be honest with you, it just doesn't make sense to me. God's promised to take care of your needs. Not your greeds, okay? Your needs. God has promised to give you enough. And in other words, wherever you're at today, enough is enough. You know, George uh, Bernard Bernard Shaw, uh, he writes the words, he says, money's worth nothing to the person who has more than enough. A person with enough. If you're there today, you know there is complete liberation in that. When a person really has learned that, has learned the secret of of contentment, they understand enough's enough. They truly understand that what matters most is not the circumstances of life, not not what you have. A person that, that is at a point where enough's enough they understand they have equal access to all the things that make life satisfying. And I believe that when you can look to heaven and say, thank you, God, I have enough. You know, my my salary, my, my shelter, it's enough. My transportation's enough. My stuff is enough. And whenever I am at a point that, that you, you understand that. Then you understand that it doesn't limit you, no matter how little you got. 
It doesn't keep you from having loving relationships. It doesn't keep you from having a sense of purpose in your life. It doesn't keep you from accessing heaven and allowing God to, to be in charge in your life. I mean, it just doesn't matter. And when a person that has enough understands that, the conversations change. I mean, you might go to God and say, you know, you know, God, if you were to give me more, I'd be thankful. I'd be a good steward of it. I'd share it liberally. Some of you are going, yeah, I could do that. I could have that conversation. But there's more. You also could go, and God, if you need to downsize things, I'm okay with that too. And I'll be honest with you, I long for the day that churches across our country, that the people of Faith Fellowship can say that. That God give me great stuff, great. But if you need to downsize me, it's okay. And when you can come to that point, and we all can, then you realize commitment has nothing, or contentment has nothing to do with what we have. And it has everything to do with God. If you're living with your focus on God and completely trusting God with your life, God's enough. And that's why Paul, we're going to read together. He says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment's possible. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, you are the author of all things. You are the owner of all things. God, it's in you we find the ultimate satisfaction, contentment. God, I pray that every one of us would remember what's important, that we'd love the people around us, that we'd live each day for you. God, that we would lean on you for all things. God, forgive us when We all have our things we long for, we desire. Forgive us when we put way too much weight in that stuff. God, I pray that whatever you've given us, that we can look and say, thank you, God, and it's enough. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. Help us to be the people you've called us to be and created us to be.
It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.